Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. The Fish are 5-0 and to start spring training. It has been a blast to watch these games, watch the Marlins come from behind late in the ball games with a lot of a mostly minor league roster by the time they get to the 6th and 7th inning. But it's a lot of prospects that we want to watch, a lot of exciting guys like Gerard Encarnacion, Jazz Chisholm. Monte Harrison's been more with the starters, but overall, it's been fun to watch the first tier of guys, the second tier of guys, and even the third substitutions at times just shows how deep the Marlins organization is now with talent that is worth watching, to be honest. But how much of spring training really matters in terms of results? What is it? What is important to look for? I think the fact that the Marlins are 5-0 and is not really that important, obviously, but it's great to see a team win. I don't think at any point in any league no matter how important the games are, a win is good for morale. It's good to bring these guys closer together. And there's definitely a confidence building throughout the organization. But I think that confidence started building the second they got to the field, before games even started, when they looked around and they said, wow, this is a different level of talent than we've had here in the last couple of years. And it's kind of seems like they're feeding off each other. Jazz Chisholm's feeding off Monte Harrison. Gerard Encarnacion's feeding off of... Monte Harrison, who might be feeding off of Gerard Encarnacion. It's all of these young guys that are seeing each other do well, and they're looking forward to the future. You can t- you can just see it. And the things that the players are saying after games, whether it's a veteran like Francisco Cervelli, who's talking about Edward Cabrera, saying that he's got a chance to be a superstar, you just have the entire franchise, from veterans to young guys, all just feeding off of each other. And that seems to be a really positive outcome from what started in the spring training. But what really matters in terms of what you see? The statistics, I really don't get too deep into them in spring training. Sure, I want to look at the strikeouts if you're talking about Gerard or Monte Harrison. Of course, that's still going to matter. You're still playing baseball. You're still throwing a, a round ball to a round bat from 60 feet, 6 inches away. So it's still the same game. But in terms of batting average and stuff like that, it's really hard to get caught up in those things because these pitchers that most of the teams are facing, most of the pitchers are working on establishing that fastball early on. So it's a much higher uh, percentage of fastballs being thrown in spring training. And that's why you see guys like Lewis Brinson have so much success because he can hit the fastball. We know that. That's why he hit 328 his first year in spring training and was fine in his second year of spring training and is off to a good start now. Pitchers are trying to establish that fastball. You don't have to worry about the breaking ball as much. And when I want to start looking at the stats and say, oh, but he's hitting 330 and get excited about it, it's a little tough to do that because guys like Peter Mooney and J.B. Shuck hit 364 in 44 at-bats in 2018. It's just one of those things where the, the numbers don't really matter. But this is spring training is one of those instances where the eye test is more important than ever. J.J. Bleday hits a single. That boosts his average. Of course, that looks good, but I'm more concerned about how he hit that single. He sits back on a breaking ball from a southpaw, Matthew Liberator, and is able to stay back on it and drive it through the hole. That is a good outcome. That is something that's positive. That's something I can take away something from and be encouraged from. Luin Diaz going yard, of course that's great. But the fact that he went yard off of a breaking ball from a southpaw, that is something that's even more positive. you got to look at the more individual scenarios, I think, to 
really come away with something. When Monte Harrison gets on base and then steals two bags, it looks like the game is not speeding up for him. He looks like the game he, the game is not too fast for him. Same with Jazz Chisholm. Of course, he's three for three and he's walked three times. I might be more impressed with the fact that he's walked because the walk rates were low to begin with in his professional career and they've slowly ticked up. And now he continues to show an improved plate discipline that was evident when he first came over to the Marlins cutting that strikeout rate almost in half. And that's something that he's made an effort on. So it's more of an individual case-by-case thing where you want to look for the certain things that players are working on and see how they're executing them. If Lewis Brinson goes yard off of a breaking ball, that is something I'd be excited about. If Lewis Brinson goes yard off a fastball, I'm still going to be excited, but I want I want to see him improve on things that he was struggling with. I might even be happier if Lewis Brinson works back from an 0-2 count, spoils a bunch of pitches, and walks at this point than if he hits a home run because... At least that'll show that he's changing in terms of his approach and the things that he's doing. So that's why with spring training, if you really want to come away with something, in my opinion, you got to watch and see what happened, or at least go back and watch some of the highlights from the big at-bats and things like that to see whether you think these players are improving. I think Miggy Rowe hits over 300 every single spring training, and he had a good year last year, but a lot of players just don't match their spring training numbers. Derek Dietrich, too. He, he, in 2018, hit 370 with four bombs. I think I remember a lot of fans getting excited about that. And he had a decent season, but not a 370 with 20 home runs type of season. So, obviously, numbers are going to take a little bit of a hit overall. But in terms of pitchers, too, that's something that's a little bit different. I think you can look more at the statistics with pitchers because they're working on whatever they want to work on. Some pitchers don't want to work on establishing the fastball as much, even though most of them do. For example, Jorge Guzman. You saw how electric that fastball was, but he doesn't need to work on that. That's something that he's had since day one. But for him, it's the off-speed that's the problem, and we saw it pretty clearly in his last outing. It started with him blowing the fastball by guys and seeming pretty comfortable. But then he walked a couple batters, got himself into a tough situation where he needed to start to get some more swings and misses. And when he fell behind guys, either having to go to that fastball or try and locate the slider for a strike, and that's where it was a problem because that slider just doesn't break. And that's where he gives up an absolute tank shot. That one was actually just a ground rule double on the slider, but it just seemed like an easy pitch to hit. And then at that point, I think the hitters knew he's probably not going to go back to that thing. It's just spinning up there. And with the bases loaded, they were sitting on a fastball, and uh, somebody I never heard of drove a grand slam to straightaway center field. So that's going to be the problem. That's the thing we got to look out for for Jorge. How is he locating those secondary pitches? With a lot of other pitchers, they're working on locating the fastball. They're just trying to get their feet wet again here in spring training. I thought Edward Cabrera did a really good job of that in his first outing the other day. And clearly, Francisco Cervelli was impressed with his comments about saying he has a chance to become a superstar. That is some really high praise from a catcher who has seen plenty, and I mean plenty, of talented pitchers throughout his career, whether he was with the Pirates, the Yankees, you name it. Plenty of talented pitchers. And I think that's got to be more important than any anything any scout can say, in my opinion, 
if Francisco Cervelli is telling you Edward Cabrera can be a superstar after catching him, that holds more weight to me. Nothing against Keith Law, but that holds more weight to me than Keith Law telling me that Edward Cabrera could be a superstar. So that is another really encouraging thing that came out of this last few uh, games in the start to spring training. The other thing about Diaz's home run that impressed me is the fact that he had a 29-degree launch angle off of a slider, which basically means that's the perfect launch angle. The sweet spot's right around 25 to 35 degrees. Just a laser line drive shot straight out of there. He's sitting back on the breaking balls better. He looks really disciplined up there, and that Carlos Delgado comp from Don Mattingly doesn't seem too ridiculous. Obviously, I don't know if he's going to have the career of Carlos Delgado, who is in the hall of very good. One of the better careers uh, that we saw from a first baseman around that time. But if he could just be anything like Delgado, that would be a huge win for the Marlins. He was one of my favorite players on that 2005 team, and it was a shame that he didn't stick around after that one-year deal. But that's a whole nother story over there. But I want to talk about what else this means in terms of spring training. It definitely affects the assignments of the younger players. That's a fun thing to watch now moving forward. The Marlins have been clear that they've been very aggressive with where they're going to assign some of the young guys that they're not afraid to throw them to the wolves a little bit. We saw it with Connor Scott. We saw it with Osiris Johnson at 17 years old playing A-ball. And we saw it with J.J. Bleday playing high A straight out of college. I think the Marlins are going to continue to do stuff like that. And if players give them a reason to in this spring training, they're going to jump on it and be even more aggressive. So I want, I'm going to talk about on the other side of the break, some of my breakout candidates who I think can potentially crack the Marlins roster this year at the bigs and who might get an aggressive assignment in terms of where they'll be in the Marlins system this coming season. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So with this race for a few roster spots with the veterans and a couple young players that are getting a chance to try and crack the opening day roster, who do I believe is going to make the team? I said on the Locked On Marlins Twitter account a couple days ago that I believe Matt Kemp is going to make this baseball team. It's a culmination of things for me that make me believe that Kemp will be on the Marlins opening day roster. First and foremost, it's the emphasis that Jeter and co and Don Mattingly and everybody within the organization has had on having some veterans mixed into the clubhouse that have a positive effect on these Marlins players. You saw it with Curtis Granderson. I think you're going to see it again here with Matt Kemp. 
because Curtis Granderson was not a good baseball player last year just to be pretty brash but he had a great effect on the young guys in the clubhouse and was just an enjoyable player to have around that's something that the Marlins find very important with veterans also Matt Kemp did not do much last year he was a little banged up but in 2018 he was an all-star with the Dodgers it's it's not that far removed for him he's worked really hard he's slimmed down he is getting reps at first base outfield so he can potentially play multiple positions this is something that the Marlins would like to have a right-handed bat now on the bench with Matt Joyce being the fourth outfielder type of pinch hitter left-handed bat right now on the bench it seems like it's going to be for the two veterans a two-man race between Sean Rodriguez and Matt Kemp Rodriguez might have the slight edge with the fact that he can virtually play every single position on the field besides catcher and pitcher even though he has pitched in the past but Matt Kemp has the higher ceiling I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star like he was in 2018 but if he has to fill in he has the potential to still hit 280 and give you 20 bombs if he's healthy and seems to be locked in like he was in 2018. So it depends which avenue the Marlins want to go. It'll be fun to watch that continue, but from what I've seen from Matt Kemp, it was the little things. He's giving you veteran at-bats. There was a man on second with nobody out, and he was able with two strikes to inside-out swing a fastball on the hands to hit a ground ball over to second base to move the runner over to third. Those are the little things that Matt Kemp will give you and will give help make your baseball team just that much better in terms of the little things and the intangibles on the field. So we'll see how that continues to develop. But how about the younger guys? Which younger guys have a chance to make the team? Monte Harrison is making his case early on that he belongs on this opening day roster. I don't know if he is going to eventually be able to be on the roster. The Marlins said they're going to give it consideration and he's going to have a chance. And it seems like Harrison is rising to the occasion so far. If he's outperforming Brinson at this point, Brinson still has options left in his contract. So maybe the Marlins send Brinson and they switch places with Monte Harrison and Brinson. I I wouldn't even be shocked if that happens, if Harrison continues to just show that he's ready for for the big leagues. And then Jazz Chisholm, he's obviously not going to make the opening day roster. But if he continues to show that he's comfortable, the game's not too fast for him playing against these big leaguers because he's getting into the games pretty early and facing some of these major leaguers or at least higher up minor league level talent, he might make a case to get a call up earlier in the season if he's doing well in double A AA or triple A wherever he gets his assignment this year. So Chisholm's showing a lot. This is an opportunity to expedite your process through the minor leagues if you can have a nice spring training. And Gerard Encarnacion, the two home runs already, he looks really good. He's a fastball hunter, though. We talked about that earlier in the first half of the podcast about the fact that fastball hunters tend to do better in spring training. But what Gerard is doing, there's no way around it. He looks great out there right now, and he's driving the ball to all parts of the field, and he looks like he is matured from getting that call up to high a ball where he got his feet wet last year getting those 60 something games in the florida state league and now he might go back there and tear it up i wouldn't be surprised to see that at all and if he does well in the first half in the florida state league he already has 67 games under his belt there he'll get a call up to double a pretty quickly maybe even before the all-star break 
And all of a sudden, Gerard Encarnacion's on a fast track to the big leagues. He could be up by 2021 if he hits. So there's a bunch of players that, if they are making their case here in spring training, can expedite that process up to the bigs, which the Marlins have to be thrilled with. Some other breakout candidates, even aside from spring training and things that are going on right now, I believe Connor Scott is going to break out this year. He was already at high eight ball by the end of last season as basically a 19-year-old. That's unbelievable. He was one of the youngest players in the entire league. And for me, the pocket of games where I'm most impressed with, which earned him that call-up to A-ball, was the 34 games between the Midwest All-Star game and his call-up to high A-ball. Why do those 34 games matter? I wanted to see how long it would take for him to settle in at single A. This is a high school baseball player, a young high school baseball player, who was much younger than everybody else he was facing, and fans were pretty quick to jump on Connor Scott for not getting off to a hot start, but not every single baseball player straight out of high school is going to hit the ground running. So he starts to settle in there in the second half of the season, and over those 34 games, slashes 316, 372, 441, which is a, good for a 137 WRC+. Plus. And that's as a 19-year-old. So then he gets the call up to high A ball, and he was still solid. He held his own. Of course, his numbers took a little bit of a hit, but this is a 19-year-old in the Florida State League. He gets his feet wet there, kind of like Gerard did, and seems to be getting more comfortable by the end of the season. So then he gets this entire offseason to sit on what he learned in the Florida State League and get ready to go back to the Florida State League as a 20-year-old now, ready to go for a full season. This is the time for him. He's only 20 years old. I think people are very quick to forget that. And he has all the tools, a potential five-tool player that now has a couple... Finally, a full season under his belt in professional baseball, almost two, and now it's the time for him to settle in and break out, and that's going to be a loaded lineup anyways, which will be good for him to hit in. He'll have plenty of protection, even if he's batting in the top of the order. Nobody's going to want to put Connor Scott on with his speed to face a middle of the order that could feature Gerard Encarnacion, Peyton Burdick, and so many more big power bats throughout the Marlins organization, depending on who's going to be there. So that's going to be a really good opportunity for Connor Scott to break out and show the Marlins that he was the right pick for them at 13. Another player from that same draft that is pretty forgotten is Osiris Johnson. He got hurt last season, did not play in a single game, missed the whole year, but he was able to just work out, get stronger, get healthy, and just get himself ready for finally a full season in professional baseball. This is a player who got thrown to the wolves, like I was talking about earlier with the Marlins being aggressive. He played that stint in A-ball and was not great, but it was only 23 games and a small sample size, and he was 17 years old at the time. He could barely see a rated R movie legally, and he is playing against grown men in a professional full-season minor league baseball league. What do you expect? This guy is now 19 years old, ready to go, has a full season now that to be able to develop, and this is going to be a big year for Osiris Johnson, in my opinion. 
He's a shortstop. He, the Marlins want him to stick at shortstop, but he can move around too. He has the power to stay at third. He could play second base. He has the range there too. He could do anything at this point. He's still 19. But if we're going to hold a 23-game stint in A-ball for a 17-year-old against him, then I don't think you deserve to be evaluating minor leaguers at this point because he has all the tools in the world and he is going to be a player that at least gives some excitement in the coming years it's just going to be the consistency can he develop the pitch selection can he get that mature approach at the plate developed but what do you expect from a teenager coming up to the big leagues they're gonna chase they're gonna have a little bit of uh, problems in terms of pitch selection but that's something that will continue to develop I think for him and I'm excited. I think it's pretty easy to forget about this guy because he didn't play for a whole year, but there's no reason to. And now the Marlins have a crazy amount of depth at shortstop. Who would have thought? Because it feels like just a couple years ago, we didn't even know who the shortstop of the future was. Now it's Jazz Chisholm for now, but there's so many other shortstops throughout the system that could have a chance to make an impact at the big league level as well. If you look at uh, Jose Devers or or Salas or now even Osiris Johnson, there's so many talented Middle infielders now throughout this system, a really good time for the Marlins in terms of their depth and their versatility throughout the minor leagues because those shortstops can all move to another position. Shortstops can play anywhere on the field, but other positions can't play shortstop except maybe Manny Machado will disagree with you on that one. But in terms of shortstops, they can play anywhere. Shortstop will do a great job at third or second base or even the outfield a lot of them can play. So that's the fact that you can have a deep... I know college coaches that only recruited shortstops because they figured they could put them anywhere and they're the most athletic player on the field. That's not that's not an uncommon thing. So whether Osiris Johnson can stick to shortstop or not, to me, does not have an effect on his potential to make an impact in the big leagues. So we'll see how he develops this coming season, having a full year now to get his feet wet. I'm sure there will be a little bit of rust when he comes back, but that's fine. (laughs) There's no rush for him, and he will just continue to get better. And by the second half, I expect him to break out and have a really nice season, probably still an A-ball this coming year. Who are your breakout candidates? Feel free to tweet me who you think might break out at Locked on Marlins and who you're excited to watch this coming season. I'm going to continue the prospect preview series as we inch closer to the top 10 Marlins prospects. I'm getting eager to start previewing some of those exciting prospects as we get closer to the start of the season. Thank you for listening as always, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow.